Man, so excited that you're here. If you don't, haven't had a chance to know me yet, I'm Jacob. I'm our operations pastor here at Velocity Church. You may say, well, what does that mean? Uh, I work behind the scenes. As you may know, there's a lot of things happening at our church in this season. We are moving towards our permanent facility. Uh, our, our construction has actually begun on that. Man, somebody should give a loud shout of praise about that. So lots of things sort of happening in the background. Uh, and and I, I have the privilege of being part of a lot of those things. And, and, and we're continuing in our series, Test the Waters, this week. And I want to start with a question. Has anybody feel like that they have gotten something out of this series, that there's something in it that has spoken to you? It's not a rhetorical question. Church is better when you participate. I'll ask again. Does anybody feel like this series has spoken something to them? Man, that is me. Last week, we heard an amazing message from Pastor Justin about Peter. And, uh, and about how Peter's obedience to Jesus was the difference maker in his life. Uh, and, and, and that obedience was a choice that Peter made at the exact moment when it was least convenient and illogical, right? We heard the story about uh, Jesus tells Peter, after Peter's had a long night of fishing that's not productive at all, tells Peter to go out and, and, and cast out his nets. And Peter's like, man, get some pastor, some preacher, some teacher telling me how to do my job. And I'm tired, and it's been a long night, and, and, but, but we see Peter is obedient in it, obedient in the inconvenience. And how would this guy, you, you could just imagine him saying, like, how would he even know, like, where to put the nets or how to do it? Like, he doesn't know anything about this, but he listens. And what I love about this moment is it's such a small thing, but it's a small thing that made a big difference, right? And, and we see and that Peter put out the nets and pulled in, the nets were so full that it was threatening to sink his boat. Like, that's, that's an amazing miracle in that moment. But, but what, I don't want, what, I, what I don't want you to miss in it is that that wasn't the miracle. I mean, it was, but the point of what Jesus was doing, and, and, and I think the more profound thing for Peter was he moved Peter from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. And that distinction in Peter's life, that made all the difference. And how did it happen? Well, God was working in Peter's life, but Peter had to say yes in the moment when saying yes wasn't convenient and when saying yes wasn't made sense. But what I love about this series is it's so focused on those little moments, incremental progress. Man, oh, there's an exciting topic, right? To just suck the energy out of the room. It's going to talk about incremental progress. Great. Like how many minutes of this do I have left? Bear with me. I promise God has something he wants to speak to you in it. Maybe even despite of what I'm going to say, I believe God has something he wants to speak to you in it. If, if you don't know me, if you do know me, it won't surprise you to know about me. I'm an incremental progress kind of guy. Yeah, thank you. Peanut gallery over there. So I'm an incremental progress kind of guy. And I can say that with a smile on my face. So let me tell you about me and incremental progress. It took me five years of dating before I proposed to this beautiful woman that sits right over here, my wife, Melinda. Five years of dating before I proposed. If you are excited, I don't know, maybe not. It's worked out well so far. It took another 11 years after that until I was on board with like having a child. And so we now have Cecilia, but it was 11 years of marriage before that happened. And uh, I just got my first iPhone like three weeks ago. So I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what it says about me that I put those three things together and I'm, and I'm making them equivalent. Uh, you shouldn't judge people in church. It's not what velocity is all about. But, but you know what, like bigger picture, I think this is why God brought me to Lawrence and to Velocity Church. 
And I don't know if you've had time, if you have the opportunity to spend time with our lead pastors, Pastor Justin, Pastor Marissa, but I'll tell you what, uh, what, what every time that I have that opportunity and that privilege that I take away from it is I, I'm always impressed and challenged and, and, if I can be honest, a little bit overwhelmed by the big vision and bold leadership that they bring to our church. And that has, yeah, let's give it up for that. That has, that has challenged me. It's pushed me out of my comfort zone more times than I can count. I'll be honest, mostly it's just super annoying. Like I'm always feeling like I'm a step behind or I'm moving too slow. Uh, no, if I can be honest, like the, the big piece of it is being a part of that has made me a better coworker. It's made me a better friend. I believe it's made me a better husband. It's made me a better father. Every aspect of my life has been improved. And, and my story, and I, I would love to get a chance to share it with you. I don't have enough time today to walk you through all the steps. But my story is a story in this church of incremental progress through little incremental changes. And so I just want to take a minute. We already gave a round of applause, but I'm going to do it again. And in the chat, can we just go crazy? Can we give it up for Pastor Justin and Pastor Marissa for their faithfulness, for all that they do to make all of this possible? And you know what I'm really excited to say about that? Man, you haven't seen anything yet. The best is yet to come. And so that's why the scripture that I'm going to preach from today may catch you off guard a little bit with that setup. Uh, if you've been around church for a while, this is probably a story that you've heard. And uh, even if, honestly, even if you've never been to church before, my guess is this is one of those stories that everybody has, has heard at some point along the way. And it can be found in Matthew chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to get it out, get those, get those ready. If you don't, you know, that's why we have this giant Bible on the screen right behind me that we're going to put up. So this is Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And I'm just going to read all this and we're going to dive into it together. So it says, immediately, Jesus made disciples to get in the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So the context here is the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 has just happened. And people are pumped up about this. And what happens when this, when, uh, when this, when this happens is the crowd sort of uh, turns into a mob. And what the mob is, is going to do, the goal of the mob is to uh, start a revolution that installs Jesus as king, to overthrow the existing government and put Jesus in that place. And you can imagine being in that moment, if you're one of the disciples, you think, great, it's finally happening. But Jesus knows this isn't what he's called to do. And so what does he do? He protects his disciples from that circumstance, because it'd be easy to get swept up in that. And so Jesus sends them away. He puts his disciples on a boat, says, I don't want you to get sucked up into this mob. This isn't what we're here to do. And you may not know that yet, but I know it. And so I'm going to put you on this boat, and I'm going to dismiss the crowd. So he puts the disciples on the boat, sends them off into the sea, and uh, he dismissed. it says, after he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat that the disciples were on is already a considerable distance from land. And it's buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. There's a storm, and it's night. So it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus walked out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were, they were amazed and relieved. No, they were, it says they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. 
But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And what a bold declaration of faith. And what does Jesus say? Just like in this series, the simple command, one word, come, he said. Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat began to worship him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Apostles lost at sea. Jesus comes to rescue them. Peter responds to Jesus' command and does the steps out of the boat and this miracle walks on the water. But as he's walking out to Jesus, what happens? The storm, he looks around and the storm starts to overwhelm him and he starts to sink below the surface of the water. It's this passage of scripture that I want to focus on today. So if you're taking notes, and I think you should, church is better when you are active. If you're taking notes, will help this to sink in. I want to give you the title of my message. The title of the message today is called That Sinking Feeling. We pray with me. I want to invite God in, and we'll dive into this together. Father God, I thank you for this day. God, I, I just ask for your help. God, I need your help preaching this today. God, I'm just believing that you have a word that you want to speak, a, a straightforward, simple command that you want to speak to everybody through this message. And so, God, I just, I just pray that, that, God, you just help me get out of the way, that people would hear from you today, God, that, that, that it wouldn't be my words, it would be yours. It wouldn't be my thoughts, but your thoughts. And God, I'm just believing in that plan and that purpose today. And everybody who agrees with that can say, amen. Amen. So just so I know who's here, I want you guys to will you engage with me a little bit here, and, you can, and you, can, you can type it in the chat. And if you're super fancy in the chat, you can use emojis. But it's okay if you can't, you need to use words. How many of you guys are the natural, slow, and steady type? Or let me ask it a different way. Story of the tortoise and the hare. How many of you guys feel like you're really, I'm a tortoise person? Anybody? Let's see, show of hands. So like typical tortoise people, there was a lot of like slow hand raising. One more time, tortoise people, be proud, man. Where are my tortoise people at? I'm a tortoise person, loud and proud. Okay, that's you. Okay, so the rest of, how many of you guys would say, I, I identify with the hair? Rachel Hartford identifies with the hair. That is the least surprising thing that I've learned today. Where are my hair people at? Okay, a few of you, I see those hands shooting up. There are some of you who didn't even bother to participate because you're such a hair person, you've already moved on from this, and you're thinking, where am I going for lunch, and what am I doing next, and like, how long is this, gonna, is this lead up going to go in before we get into the message today? So, no matter whether you're a tortoise person or a hair person, my setup may be a little puzzling to you, and here's why. I talked about incremental progress, right? Incremental progress, and then hit you with a passage of scripture, at least the way I learned it, that really seems counter to that. The way I learned this was impulsive Peter who, who, who acts before he thinks, swings for the fences, jumps out of the boat before thinking it through. And maybe that's how you've heard this story. But what I want to tell you is I prepared this this week is I saw, I saw things in the scripture I'd never seen before. And I don't think that's what this, that's what this scripture is designed to tell us. I think this passage contain, and what, what God showed me in this as I prepared it, is there's a blueprint he gives us here 
for how to how to how to make it through hardships. And I, when I talk about making it through hard, I'm talking I'm not talking about just enduring hardships, but coming through your hardships and emerging from them stronger and with greater faith than you had before. Man, doesn't that sound like something that would be useful in this season? I don't know about you, but over the last year and a half, one of the things that I'm that I'm that I that I'm uh, fed up with is just being told what I need to do is just kind of hunker down and weather the storm and just let the waves crash over and like just try to hang on and just endure and let's just limp across the finish line together. And what I want you to know, God does not create adversity in your life, but God will use that adversity in your life. And what he wants for you is for you to emerge stronger from those things. He wants you to emerge from those trials more deeply connected to him. And man, I don't know about you, but that's what I want out of this. The last year and a half has been difficult in, in, in more ways than I can count. And I don't know your story and how it's difficult, but I guarantee you if we went around, we're not going to do it, but if we went around, everybody's story would be different and everybody's story would, would be a story about, about hardship. I'm okay with hardship, but I want it to be productive. And what I found in this was, was, the, was the recipe for how to make your hardships fruitful. So let's set the scene a little bit here, because that's what I want to get into with you today. Apostles alone on the boat, right? Jesus isn't with them. They've spent the evening rowing out from shore against the wind at night. Depending on the scripture, uh, scholars estimate maybe up to like nine hours they've been rowing, rowing away from shore, rowing against the wind, rowing in the dark. You can imagine they're pretty exhausted. There's a storm that's been brewing that's now really kicking up getting stronger and stronger. They're watching these waves get bigger and bigger, and they're, you know, they're not on a cruise ship. They're on a little boat, right? And this boat's getting tossed around, thrown around in the waves. We know that of the disciples, four of them were fishermen, so maybe they were equipped for this. But for the rest of them, and maybe you've been in this circumstance, this would be pretty alarming because Dramamine is not a thing for another, like, 2,000 years. So in this storm, they look out. And they're concerned already. And they look out, and what do they see in the distance? Something or someone walking towards them. And what I want to talk start with today is how they react. And, you know, instead of giving you uh, points, I'm a simple guy. Tim, me give you four words that I want you to write down. And here's the first one. The first thing I want you to write down is seek. We know how the story ends. We have the luxury of that. We know it's not a ghost walking towards them. We know that it's Jesus. And we know that he's walking towards them intentionally because he knows that they're in trouble and they need help. But they don't have the luxury of knowing that at this point. They don't know how the story ends. So let's look at how they handled it. In verse 25, it says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went to them walking on the lake. 26 says, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. What are they seeking? In the middle of the storm, the apostles, Jesus' closest followers in ministry, aren't seeking him. They're so caught up in their own assessment of the circumstance, far from shore, dark, storm, exhausted, scared, they miss the miracle of Jesus walking on the water towards them. 
Matthew chapter 7 says this. It says, seek and you will find. What this, how these things relate for me is to, is to recognize that what you look for is what you're going to see. But what you look for is your choice. And what we see here is that the disciples in this moment are completely unable to see that, they're, that, that Jesus is there to save them. And what do they, how do they interpret what they see instead? Uh, it, it adds something else that, to the list of things they need to worry about. It's bad enough we got the storm. It's bad enough Jesus isn't here. It's bad enough that it's pitch black. And also there's like a ghost that seems to be walking towards us. At the sight of him, they don't cry out in relief. They cry out in fear. Now, I want to be clear with you here. It isn't wrong to be afraid. Being scared is not a sin. Fear is a natural feeling that we have. It's an expression that is a, is a, is a response and an expression of our survival instinct. And I'll just say this. If you live a life where you never feel afraid, you are not living God's best for you. Because God will put you in uncomfortable circumstances to grow you. So if you spend your life avoiding fear and discomfort and saying, this is the path God has for me, I can tell you that's, it's not true. God will put you in circumstances where you fear, where you feel fearful. He will allow you to be in circumstances where you experience those things because he wants to use those things to grow you. So don't get the message twisted. The failure of the disciples isn't that they were afraid. What we can learn from them is what choice did they make when they faced the fear? What did they seek? In Deuteronomy 4.29, it says, But if from there you see the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. What this tells me is when we feel fear, feeling the fear isn't a choice. That's something that happens to us. But we, when we feel fear, we face a choice. That verse says, if you choose to seek him. That means you have the choice. Are you choosing to give in to that fear? Are you choosing to focus on those circumstances? Or are you choosing to seek the Savior? Scripture is clear that faith also is not a feeling that we have. Faith is a decision that we make. I'm going to say that again. Faith is not a feeling that we have. Faith is a decision that we make. When we choose to believe God over our circumstances, we know that he'll give us strength that we would never have access to going it alone. So the first step here is to seek. You have to make the deliberate choice when your fear is trying to take control, when it's darkest, when the storm is raging, to seek him. So here's the second word I have for you today. First one is seek. Second one is trust. Let's look at what happens next. Lord, if it's you, Peter replies, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus says. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. What an incredible turnaround this is. The apostles go from thinking that Jesus is some weird Scooby-Doo sea captain ghost 
And that played better in the first service. <laughs> like, uh, the sea captain, like, seaweed on him and got his little hat and his, I don't Watch more Scooby-Doo. <laughs> At least that's how it plays out in my head. You can play it out in your head however you want. So this weird Scooby-Doo sea captain ghost who's come to sink the boat in the storm. And we go from that, moments later, Peter's stepping out of the boat and walking on the water towards Jesus. Here's what I want you to see in this, is how Peter accomplished it. All my life, I've heard this story as we should look up to Peter because of his leap of faith. But when you read the scripture, there's no leap of faith there. In fact, as best as I can tell, there are no leaps of faith at all anywhere in the Bible. Well, actually, it's not exactly true. There is a leap of faith, and it's when, when Satan is trying to tempt Jesus, he, he, he tells him he should leap off of a cliff. What I want you to get out of this is that when God calls us, he doesn't call you into a reckless YOLO leap. Don't get me wrong, God calls us to do big things, but it's in how he does it. He calls us to do those big things through being obedient and making small, incremental moves in faith. And if you pay attention to the story, that's what Peter does. In my mind, I'd always thought of this as like Peter gets like a running start and runs and just flop, jumps off the boat and belly flops in and then stands up and walks. And, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a funny way to represent it, but that's not what's in Scripture. It says Peter makes small moves it says he got down out of the boat. Peter walked to the side of the boat. He climbed down out of it. And I kind of just imagine him like on the edge, like the, maybe there's a, a rope ladder or something like that. And Peter's at the bottom of that ladder, right at the water level. And like I said, Peter didn't just leap off. I imagine him doing this, right? This is what I would do if I were Peter. It's like, oh, okay. And then this, and then this, and then turn and walk. This is what scripture, to me, this is consistent with how scripture represents this story. Peter did have big faith, but his big faith didn't result in this huge leap. Peter's part in this was to trust. And Peter had to trust that the rules about what's possible and what's impossible that apply to him don't apply to God. And what I want you to see in this is that Jesus didn't expect Peter to achieve the impossible. Peter got to experience the impossible. But in doing that, all he had to do to unlock that was to, was to take that little incremental move forward. Peter achieved the impossible, but, or Peter experienced the impossible, but Jesus authored the impossible. How? Incremental moves. But it's not all highlight reel for Peter as we continue this story. So let's get back into the scripture together. Verse 30 says, But when, talking about Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? This gets me to the third word that I want to share with you today. And that word is extend. We've already talked about doubt 
and fear today. And we see that even in the middle of the miracle, we shouldn't expect to be freed from those things. So, but what is encouraging in this is how quickly we see a change in Peter throughout this story. We start from him missing Jesus completely in the storm. And we go from there to him walking out on the water. But as he walks out to Jesus, he takes a look around and starts feeling a little overwhelmed. And so when I was thinking this through, I mean, Pastor Justin always uses his kids as sermon examples, right? And so I feel like I should do the same thing. And for our parents there, maybe this will resonate with you, is when I think about this, I think about when my daughter Cecilia learned how to walk and when she took her first steps. I can picture it very clearly. We're in our living room, and, and I'm, I'm standing across from her, and she you know, pulls herself up on, on a chair or on a stool or something like that and stands, and she looks me right in the face, eye contact with me, and starts, and starts doing this, right? Little steps, little tiny steps. And, and she does that, and then you can see you're getting a little bit more confident, and the steps get a little bigger, and then she does this, and then plop. Why? Because she looked around, and the magnitude of what was happening overwhelmed her, right? In that moment, she was like, oh, I, you know, I had that when I, was, when I was focused, but as soon as I got distracted, I lost, I lost it, right? And so I think this is, this, in some ways, this is Peter. Peter's walking out to Jesus, and I would imagine if I'm him, like I'm taking the little steps. How weird would it be to walk on water, right? The, the, we know that it, the water is a little bit choppy, so like what's happening with Peter, like he's moving around, and he's taking these little steps, and he's like, I got this, I got this. And then maybe Peter looks off in the distance and he sees there's a big wave coming in and he sees the storm is getting closer and closer and closer. And this freaks him out and, he, and, he, and it says he starts to sink. And why does he start to sink? Because, because he's allowed himself to be distracted. And isn't it funny that the storm causes Peter to, to doubt and to sink? Because let's be honest, it doesn't matter if there's a storm or if the water is glassy calm. Peter does not have the ability to walk on water in either circumstance. So it's not like there's anything unique or special about the storm that can invalidate the miracle that's happening, except if Peter lets it. And this is what happens. And so we see this, this, we see this back and forth of, 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 the, of his inability to see Jesus and then his, his show of faith and stepping out of the boat and trust, and then he starts to sink. But what I love about this is how Peter responds. This is how, what we can learn. In this moment, what does Peter do? He doesn't try to climb himself back out of the wall. Like, that wouldn't make any sense, right? Imagine you're starting to sink, and you try to, like, leverage yourself, and, like, I'm going to pull myself up back out of this. You know that's not going to work. So what does Peter do? He immediately extends, I just imagine him, like, Lord, save me. He extends his hand towards Jesus in that moment. When he finds doubt creeping in and he loses his focus, he goes right back to the source, the author of the miracle. And notice how Jesus reacts. Jesus does not say, hey, you know, it's too bad. You got yourself in that circumstance. Like, be more faithful next time and you'll be able to walk on the water. Like, figure that out. No. Jesus, it says he immediately and that means without hesitation, without second thought, reaches out and grabs Peter's. Peter reaches out his hand to him. So I just imagine like Peter's starting to sink, reaches out his hand and says, Lord, save me. And Peter and, and Jesus just immediately grabs him up out of the water. What, what you can see from this is God cares about saving you first and getting you straightened out second. 
because the, 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 the correction does come, but it comes after the rescue. And, you know, it's, I think it's easy, again, you've you got to put yourself into these situations and think about how it plays out, right? This is what I do when I'm studying the scripture. I think if I was there, what would it be? And it's easy to look at this and say, this was Jesus, like, uh, Jesus was being stern and critical. I don't imagine it that way. In my mind, I think about, like, Jesus pulling him up, and I picture Jesus with a smile on his face, and, he sa- and he's shaking his head, and he's saying, you, of, as he pulls him up, he's laughing, it's you of little faith, why would you doubt? So, what we see here is the opportunity that doubt brings. And it's hard, but you have to learn to see opportunity. We have to learn to see opportunity in doubt. Doubt is an opportunity for greater faith, but you have to be active in seeking it. This reminds me of another story in the Bible that I love, the story of, of Nicodemus. We learn about him in the Gospel of John. If you don't know who he is, he's a Pharisee. And the Pharisees, there's a, there's a lot of details I'm not going to go into, but they're a group that was not known for su- being supportive of Jesus and his ministry. So uh, Nicodemus was one of this group, but he had doubts about what he was being told about Jesus, the truth of those things. And he had questions about who Jesus was. And so what does Nicodemus do? He extends to the source He reaches out to Jesus. He sought out Jesus to get answers. It says he knocked on Jesus' door in the middle of the night when nobody would know he was there to get answers. And and Jesus doesn't turn him away. He invites him in, and they have a conversation. And it's actually through this conversation that we get John 3.16, which is maybe the most well-known, one of the most powerful scriptures. You know, everybody knows John 3.16. We see it on sporting events, all of those things. It's during that conversation that Jesus expresses what is recorded as John 3.16, one of the most profound and best-known verses in the entire Bible. Nicodemus was active in seeking out the source when he had doubts. And what happens? We know that that his faith was strengthened through this. And how do we know that? The last mention of Nicodemus that we have in the Bible is when he goes with Joseph to petition Pilate to turn over Jesus' body to them so that they can bury him. This is a hugely risky move for a man who has is, who is, who is grown up and is identified as a Pharisee. And it shows that Nicodemus' faith was grown as a result of, of reaching out, of extending in that moment of doubt to the source to seek those answers. And so you know what? I mean, I think this is all great, but this actually isn't my favorite part of the scripture It's the one that I've saved kind of best for last. So let's look at it together. Verse 32 and and 33 say, And when they climbed into the boat, talking about Peter and Jesus, says the wind died down. So the, the, uh, the next miracle, think about the apostles in this moment. What have they witnessed in the last 24 hours? The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, Peter walking on water, Jesus speaking the storm to calm. Man, that's a pretty good run if, if you're one of the disciples of what you get to experience. But what's amazing about this is you think about like, well, if I was there, there is no question that I would worship Jesus unconditionally and recognize him for who he is because there's no way you could witness that and not feel this way. But that's not what happens. Even in this moment, the disciples, even in these moments, the disciples are still, that's a ghost. And it tells us when he climbed, 
when they climbed onto the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Why this is significant, this is significant for so many reasons, but this is the first time in recorded scripture that the apostles collectively acknowledge Jesus' role as the son of God, his position. And it's because of these experiences that that happens. Jesus and Peter climb into the boat, another miracle is performed, and all the apostles worship Jesus. And so this leads me to the last, the fourth word I want you to write down, and that's praise. The passage ends with the disciples acknowledging who Jesus is and worshiping him. In other words, giving praise to God for who he is and all that he has done. It would be really, really easy to overlook these verses. After all, like the, the main part of the story is over. The walking on the water has happened. The calming of the storm has happened. When I first read this, this last piece seemed like a PS that was like attached to the end. Like not a critical component, but like a, a little bonus add-on. It was icing and not cake. But as I read it, the more I realized how critical this part of the story is and why it was so, why, why it was recorded in scripture. Praise. Why is praise important? I mean, I think the answer is simple. We are easily distracted. We face a lot of distractions. How, just think for a second. How many things are there that are going to be competing for your attention between now and next Sunday? Maybe that's overwhelming for some of you. Let's think about that. How many things are competing for your attention right now? And maybe you're, you know, a little hungry, notification on the phone, notification on the watch maybe, something along those lines. Uh, you know, we have, we have so many distractions, and I think we are so easily distracted. So when we talk about praise, I want to give you a, maybe a little bit different definition of praise than what you've heard before. When you praise something, it means you're giving it your reverence and your undivided attention. And what you may not realize is that you are always praising something. The question is, what is it? We see it in the story. At the very first part, it was the storm that was receiving the attention and the reverence. They were focused on it. They were acknowledging its power. They were concerned about the implications of it. The storm was receiving the praise. And we can look at, at the same thing happens to Peter when he starts sinking in the water. He's looking around, and the storm snaps into focus, and it's, and it's getting his attention, and it's distracting him. And what, you may not think about it this way. It's maybe an, a, a weird way to think about it. But whatever it is, that thing that you're focused on, that thing that you're giving your attention to, that thing you're, you're allowing to have power over your life is what you're worshiping. It's what's getting your praise. Praising God is important because if you aren't intentional in building the habit of focusing your energy, your attention, and your reverence on him, you're going to have trouble resisting the temptation to give that praise to something else. And there's always going to be a something else. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be spent growing closer to Jesus. Not just in times that are convenient for me, but all the time. By praising him, I can position myself not just to persevere during those difficult times, not just to like weather the storm and try to get up and, and limp on, but to grow deeper and stronger in my faith in those moments. I acknowledge who he is. I acknowledge all that he's done for me. And I align 
my heart with his. So let's look at these four words again, and we're going to put them back on the screen. Seek, trust, extend, praise. It's so simple. All you have to do is take a step. And I just want to take a moment and acknowledge all the steps that people have been taking right here in our church, making decisions for Jesus, making decisions to be baptized, making the, taking the step of joining a group, taking a step of going to essentials, so many steps. And, 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 you know, it can be so easy to talk yourself out of those things and say, does, it's so, it seems so small, does that really matter? If you get anything out of what we talked about today, recognize that don't underestimate what God can accomplish through a series of small, seemingly inconsequential steps in your life. And I want to close with a question. What step are you being called to take today? Now, for some of you, that answer is really easy. You may have never taken the step of acknowledging Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. If you're here and you've never taken that step, I want you to know that that's why God brought you here today. And maybe that's the step that he's calling you to take. So I'm going to give you that opportunity. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to lead you in a prayer.